Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Conversations on Dance is brought to you by Dance Teacher Web Conference and Expo. From innovative movement classes to inspiring seminars, Dance Teacher Web 2022 has more than 140 sessions on an extensive range of dance and business and personal development topics. So whether you are a new teacher, a professional dancer looking to transition into teaching someday, a seasoned studio owner or a school administrator, you can customize a program to meet your professional needs. This conference, catered specifically to dance teachers of all styles, includes business building seminars, marketing trends, and unique studio retention ideas, teacher certification training programs with UNLV, world-class expo hall with 80-plus exhibitors, networking with dance celebrities, and so much more. Register now for the Dance Teacher Web Conference and Expo. August 4th through 7th, 2022 in Las Vegas and go into your classes next year loaded with new class content for all levels and ignite your creative flame with ideas for new choreography and music. We are happy to offer our listeners a special code for $50 off your conference registration when you use code COD50 at checkout. But hurry, this special offer ends May 4th, 2022. Visit danceteachersummerexpo.com for information and to register now or click the link in the description of this episode. Remember, use code COD50 at checkout for $50 off your conference registration. Looking great, whether on stage or off, is important. Menagee Advanced Men's Skin Care is a line of professional skincare products formulated to keep your skin healthy and performance ready. Trusted by professionals who need to maintain healthy skin, Menagee is a must-have for those whose appearance matters. Go to www.menskincare.com, that's menskincare with one S, and use code COD30 to receive 30% savings on all individual products. Your skin will thank you. The Conversations on Dance listener survey is back. It's been a few years since we have checked in with our listeners to get your feedback, so we have put together a short list of questions that takes just a couple minutes to complete. By responding to our 10 questions, you will help us get a better understanding of our audience, which we will use to support the podcast in the future and bring you more of the content that you are looking for.
We are already receiving really helpful feedback and great listener suggestions, which we will be addressing in an upcoming episode of COD. Thank you for tuning in and being a valuable part of this podcast's future. Click the link in the description of this episode to take our survey now or visit conversationsondancepod.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we are joined by legendary ballerina Cynthia Harvey. Cynthia began her training in California before holding the rank of principal dancer with both American Ballet Theater and the Royal Ballet, a first for an American dancer. We talk with Cynthia about her early years of training, how she dealt with being cast routinely in major roles with less than 24 hours notice, combating stage fright, and finding her path once she retired from the stage. We also talked to Cynthia about her time directing the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School, American Ballet Theater's training program, an institution she has led since 2016 and will be stepping down from to spend more time with her family. Cynthia, thank you for joining us on this rainy Wednesday morning. Um, we're it's so pleasurable for me to hear you too and see you actually as well. <laughs> well we're so happy well, to have you. There's so much to talk about with you. So we want to just dive right into it and hear a little bit about how you first got into ballet, how you first were put into lessons. Uh, well, I, I did the usual, you know, Dolly Dimple School of Dance in my little town in Marin County, Northern California. Uh, because my mother was trying to give my sister something to do. Mm -hmm. um, And she's older by 17 months. Mm -hmm. And I was little, but I loved it. And then, you know, it got expensive and my parents couldn't afford it. So that was that for a few years. But then I saw Rudolph and Margot on the Ed Sullivan show. And evidently, according to my mother, I don't remember this. I I remember seeing them, but I don't remember trying to dance in front of the TV. Uh, and she was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> if you really want to do this, we better give her some lessons because it was bad news to watch me attempt. <laughs> I don't know. I must have been seven or six or seven years old. Um, so that she put me in a parks and recreation sort of uh, YMCA summer class. Mm-hmm. And the lady there uh, told her later on that um, your daughter is bored. You know, she picks up combinations faster than the older kids and um but there if she's really interested there is a teacher locally who had been dancing with alan howard from the pacific ballet in california who was with the ballet ruse and um she was in their little company along with kira nichols mother sally streets they were we were all at the same time and uh so I was sent to Mrs. Walton, Christine Walton, who's um, still living in Fairfax, California. And um, she taught for quite a quite time after I retired, but she had three of us, tiny little school, the Novato School of Ballet. Um, there were three of us that ended up at ABT, which is kind of amazing for this tiny, tiny little place. Uh-huh. And then um, in this, in sort of weekends, when I turned 12, I started doing the regional ballet movement, the Marin Civic Ballet mm-hmm. at the time, out of which there were several people who actually ended up at National Ballet of Canada and San Francisco Ballet and places like this. So um, it was kind of very gradual, but very green um, kind of coming to the ballet world. Mm-hmm. But once I got bitten by that bug, that was that. Um, and, you know, I took out all the books in the library that I could find and 
I was one of those girls, right? Yeah, little bunhead children. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you have an awareness of your own talent at that age, or was this something that you really worked for? No, I had. I worked. I was a worker. Yeah. I, you know what I had, um, which I didn't know, but other people have told me. Um, people like John Meehan later on going, "God, you were really coordinated." It never occurred to me because I would always struggle the very first time mm-hmm. somebody gave me a variation. I would always find like I couldn't quite grasp it. Um, and somehow I'd go home. I'd almost, I wouldn't physically do it, but I'd think about it in my mind and, and mm. try to imagine what it would feel like and find my own kinetic way of doing things. And then it would become more, things would become more comfortable. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, sometimes if somebody said I had to do this specific arm in third position, but I felt more comfortable doing it with my left arm, if it was allowable, that would work better for me. So mm-hmm. I had to find my own coordination. Um, but that was probably the initial thing. And, you know, once somebody starts to tell you, probably I was around 11 years old, I auditioned for that, you know, the Bolshoi used to tour uh-huh. and they did ballet school, which was like an etudes, like ABT's mm-hmm. etudes or mm-hmm. the, the Royal Danish etudes. And I would, uh, I, I got chosen um, in that that year. I don't remember. It was like maybe 19... 68, 70 something. And, um, and after that is when people go, Oh, you know, she has talent. Then you think, Oh, I can do this as a living. Yeah. <laughs> you mean this sure. is something I can, because in my mind, I didn't know that when I, I saw these people on stage, that, that was a job. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't think about that as right. a child. It's, it's just something beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could have been a hobby as far as I knew, because for me, it was just, I love doing it. Yeah. And I think part of the reason is, um, my, my mother was from Mexico and she, my aunts, one of my aunts or two of my aunts at two different times lived with us. And it was very Latina, very arms and talking and drama. And I have a very gregarious older sister <laughs> and I never got a word in. I was just like the quiet <laughs> person and ballet was a place where I could go. And it was quiet. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to talk. I didn't have to fight for attention. It was music. Um, all the things I liked. And I think that's why I zoned in on it. Mm-hmm. And it was when you find that right thing, it, it, I was so lucky when I think about it because, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody has this option yeah. or the the insight. And, and I'm grateful to my mom, especially for, and then she had to take on two jobs to keep us in it. And my teacher just gave me scholarships to keep going. Yeah. So that was very helpful. So <laughs> when you talk about, um, this coordination that maybe didn't come supernaturally to you, but you found this way to create it yourself. I wonder, we hear that so much about when we t- speak with coaches or teachers that, you know, go on later in their careers to teach and coach that they have this kind of analytical mind. And so I wonder how you um, came about that process for yourself. Did someone prompt you like, you know, go home, think about it, or was it just something that you kind of like developed that system in your mind? And then it, of course, I'm sure continued through your career. But I think it's a combination of many things because this particular teacher, Christine Walton, that I had, she formed her own way of teaching, and but she used all the syllabi. You know, she had all the books. She right. had Spasitsova's classes. She had the RAD. She had the Chiquetti. Uh-huh. And, and then she would try to give us the curriculum, as it were, and and she would say to one girl, Leslie, this one looks better on you, or Cynthia, this looks better on you. Mm. And for me, she always kept saying the RAD, she thought the Royal Academy looked better on me. Uh So that 
of course, then I went like, who's who, who would be from the Royal Academy of Dance? And it was Margot Fontaine. Uh-huh. Okay. So I got to see she would bring in books and we'd look at photos and we'd look at posing. And and I think just in my mind, I would then try to emulate certain if I saw a photo and I could not attain those positions, I would then go home and try to do that. So, yes, I mean, I definitely have an analytical mind. Mm-hmm. Um to my detriment many, many times. <laughs> and um, at the same time, I think being given teachers who came from a different place, the lady who ran the Marin Civic Ballet was Vaganova trained. Mm. So that gave me the whole other aspect. So I had all these, all this information coming and just trying to find my own way through that. Um, and we were exposed to many, many different things. I mean, Hector Zaraspi came to teach where I was and, uh, Norbert Vizak, who was from Canada, it was very much more a modern, um, he was more in the contemporary ballet world. She, uh, Norbert Vizak was kind of the co-director at one time and then the director of the Marin Ballet. They, just this different inputs were coming from all over. And it was, you know, the 70s. <laughs> it was kind of the boom, the beginning of the ballet boom right. in a way. And and the companies were all touring. We got to see the, the Mariinsky or the Kirov. Uh, the Royal Danish Ballet, American Ballet Theater, Paris Opera. It's so many companies, wow. National Ballet of Canada would come to San Francisco. So there was a lot of touring um, in those days that we got to see. And I remember having pictures of Carla Fracci and Eric Brune on my wall and Anthony Dowell and Antoinette Sibley. And, you know, yeah, it would, those were the idols, you know, that I would, I would just look at their pictures every night. They were right before by my bed and I'd fall asleep looking at that direction. Oh no, I mean, I was that shy, Uh but believe it or not, extremely shy, the kind that would hide behind my parents' skirts. So ballet for me was my world. I didn't have to compete with my sister for that one. And, um, you know, I found the people that I liked. And to this day, one of my best friends who stopped dancing um, in her twenties was one of those dancers that I met in my ballet class and you know we're still best friends today so <laughs> we still understand each other <laughs> right yeah. so at what point um did you start to kind of get out of your um training bubble i guess like did, did christine walton was she uh instrumental in helping you choose summer programs or like how Absolutely. how you were going to get out into the world from there well the the very first one she sent me to was at san francisco ballet summer intensive this is when um lou christensen was still around you know um, so I went to their summer program there. And again, I met people that I'm still friends with today. I mean, these summer programs, that's what I keep telling these kids, you know, you, you meet friends for life and it's really all the time. All the time. We always yeah. say that. It's true. But it's like, we, it's, we both went to San Francisco summer too. And I mean, I still have maid of honor. My wedding was <laughs> one of my friends that I met. Shout out to Melissa. I know she's listening. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And it's the first time I took a potage class because there were not a lot of boys from where I was. There was one or two, but I didn't get to do potage otherwise. Right. So those were the beginnings. And, and then, you know, they would offer me places, but somehow I would always go back to Christine. So I stayed with her the second time. Um, Summer, I went to SAB when I was 14. Um, and again, it was, you know, I don't know if you all had this experience where they, after the summer intensive, they take you and they check you out to see if you've got all the things that they, they require. Mm-hmm. I went for the, I guess I thought that might be interesting. Um, and, but again, I came home 
I think I wasn't ready um, maturity wise to live away from home. Mm -hmm. And I, I was doing well academically. So um, I thought I, I don't want to push that yet. Right. And then I went to the National Ballet of Canada through Norbert Wiesak for one summer and straight to ABT summer intensive. And that's when I got offered the, um, when I was 15 mm -hmm. um, to stay. And after going back home and discussing it, we decided the ABT route was the best. Um, and that was through Christine as well. She contacted, I don't know if Terry Orr will remember this. She knew somebody who knew Terry Orr. And she called, she found out where they were staying, which hotel, and she called them really early one morning, woke him up <laughs> and said, I have this student, da, da, da. Anyway, he arranged that I take class. Pat Wilde was the director of the school at ABT, but she was also ballet mistress for ABT. Mm -hmm. So she was on tour. So I held on to a doorknob and that's how I auditioned for the school. <laughs> and um and got into the school and it was very different it was only one scholarship class that was it um maybe two there was when i when i got there there was a second class a bit younger mm -hmm. kids um but i had Leon alien and patricia wilde and pat wilde was great she was hard but i came to pcs and i attempted that which was um i think i recently said that you know those days with no internet and I was trying to do schoolwork, but mm. coming home when the libraries were closed and living at a girl's residence. <laughs> and it was very, very tough to try to get my grades and homework. And I freaked out because I wasn't getting A's. And, <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, in the end, I guess what I had decided was if I end up getting in the company and I gave myself four years, if I didn't see that there was like a future, then I'd go back to school. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, I had, like, I had it all planned. Um, so it turned out that after four years, I, well, right away, I got in, uh, within the first nine months, I was so fortunate right. that they yeah. had a big audition at ABT. Oh, that's interesting. So they, they auditioned yeah, and, and that's how you got through. That's amazing. Yeah, I got in as an apprentice uh -huh. because I was too young. Sure. And then, um, cause I turned 16 and, um, but I was still 16. Mm -hmm. And so I got in as an apprentice and then. Uh, John Neumeyer was coming to stage, Beze de la Fay, uh, and he chose me over a company dancer. She left, and I got the job. <laughs> and it was kind of, you know, I look back and I'm thinking a, a lot of my opportunities were other people's misfortunes. That's how it, how it works it sometimes, sometimes, right? I mean... <clears throat> Well, I think it, it worked that way for me. Yeah. And I, I do believe for, for me, that was that, that was that aspect. I, I was not a genius dancer, like a Gelsey Kirkland. I was a hard worker and I got that way through hard work, you know, mm -hmm. the subtlery of the ballet world. Yeah. I wonder, <laughs> so. um, being, you know, exposed to so many different styles, so many different companies, you're talking about these, um, companies you saw on tour when you were still kind of, you know, discovering that this could be a job, what company did you have your eye on or were you just kind of like, I just wonder, was it ABT from the get? Probably ABT because they had my, you know, Carla Fracci and Eric Brun and Natalia Makarova, you know, those dancers that I got to see more often, but then the Royal Ballet was the other one. Mm -hmm. So those two companies were the ones that I was drooling over and it was the repertoire. I wanted to be the sylph in La Sylphide. I wanted to be the princess, you know, in Corsair or the, I, those were the were my in my head because um, there was no other way I was going to ever become a princess. So I knew that that was my that was my option. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was the it was the roles that I thought. Oh, I want to do those roles, and those companies had the Sleeping Beauty and 
you know, and, and one of the first, but I also saw Maya Plisetskaya do um, the dying swan and swan leg. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, I, if I could ever do that one day, that would be amazing. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's it's a lot of, a lot to live up to though. <laughs> right. Well, can, can you kind of um, paint a picture for us? Like what, what the, what your um, initial experience was as an apprentice, like who, who, Lucia Chase is still the director at that point. Yes. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, you have those big stars that you're that you've looked up to. Um, mm-hmm. How is this expectation versus reality playing out for you as as a teenager? That's a new newly minted apprentice. Well, it was um, also Rudolf Nureyev came around the first year, that, and he was staging Raimonda, mm-hmm. and uh, I was still at that. You know, I didn't sit down. I kept working. I, I wouldn't take a break because I was around all these people who were fantastic. And I, you know, how will I get that? How will my materia ever look like Makarova's? How will <laughs> how will I be as turned out as, you know, uh, Cynthia Gregory or, you know, listening to Rudolph take a rehearsal and he'd be dancing everybody's roles as well as dancing his own. Um, how will I ever have that stamina? So I kept working like a maniac. And he noticed me and he chose me to do right away, almost one of the three girls and covering the two soloists in Raimonda. And I was in my first year. It was like, <laughs> so I thought, Oh, hard work is the way to go. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the way. And then I got mononucleosis. Oh no. So, um, but that was okay. I mean, uh, can you imagine this? I was, I was not feeling well. <laughs> and yeah. I lied down. I would lie. This is the person who was standing up all day. Right. I lied down on the, I laid down on the ground in the studio and fell asleep. And it was bizarre. And then when I was diagnosed, I had to tell Lucia Chase, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to be out for a while. And that was a big, a big um, sort of wake up call Mm -hmm. to how to take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And it was way before we had all that, the extra, you know, um, information on, on nutrition. And so during that time, I would read about what to do to take care of myself. And then eventually when I came back, people like Cynthia Gregory, first of all, uh, they had changed my name to Christine. Uh, well, they asked me to change my name because you can't have Cynthia Harvey and Cynthia Gregory in a company. <laughs> what did you say? Well, I I didn't care. I wanted to be an ABT. I would do anything. <laughs> Which name do you want me to change? Both of them? I'll change both of them. So um, I took on my ballet teacher's name, Christine, because I thought as an honor MC, Cynthia. Right. But Cynthia Gregory being the wonderful, kind and generous person that she was, I think after my first year and after being sick and I came back, she she noticed that she'd heard my name was really Cynthia and at a Halloween party. She went up to Lucia Chase, who I think might have had a little to drink by then. <laughs> and she said, this is silly. You need to change your name. You know, there was Alicia Markova and Alicia, Alicia Alonso and nobody confused the two. And- oh, I love that. And so Lucia said yes, and I and and Cynthia then went tomorrow call Agma and get your name changed back, and I did. So that was that. I got Aww. my, my back to my that. real name, Cynthia. <laughs> so I had this great admiration for these people, which didn't stop until they retired. Even when they retired, I mean, even later when Makarova came to rehearse us, I was still like frightened and intimidated, <laughs> more intimidated, I think, than anything else. Yeah. Um, and and that's the burden of also being in the corps de ballet for a long time and seeing, I, I don't mean burden in the worst sense of the word. Yeah. I mean that what it left me was with this incredible respect, not just for the 
dancer, but for the role. Um, so standing on the, you know, like in the front line or something and <laughs> waiting and listening to the variations and hearing them go off stage and grunting and groaning and, mm-hmm. and how, how exhausted they were when they left the, the stage. I just thought, my gosh, if, I'll never get to, I'll never be able to do these ballets, you know? So even as I was getting to do them, I was scared to death of them. Right. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, so a full-length ballet is a pretty intimidating beast to go up against. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when you're normally thrown on and that's exactly how it happened. Interesting. For, for, for me in the end. So right. I think the first time you, you kind of forgive yourself, you think to yourself, well, they can't blame me. You know, I'm doing them a favor. I'm getting out, I'm getting out on stage. But at the same time, you want to make sure that people from the company or your bosses think, oh, she can handle this. Yeah. Right. So there's that sort of two-way pull going on. You know, mm-hmm. I'm doing them a favor. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I'll be okay. Or at the same time, oh my gosh, what if they think this is such a disaster? We should never give her this opportunity. Right. Can, can you tell us so, about some of these specific stories? You know, because I think most of our you know, former peers, Rebecca and I being very retired now, but, you know, we have a lot of friends in ABT, James and Bella, people are grew up with and love, but they, they talk about how they usually nowadays, it seems like you get the luxury of knowing pretty far in advance. And then you, you rehearse and you rehearse and you rehearse, and then you do do like your out of town tryout, you know, you get the Detroit show to like, you know, center, you feel, feel a little bit more comfortable before you have to do your Met premiere. You know, so what, what were some of your stories where you just had to just go do it? It sounds like. Well, one was April 1st, April Fool's Day in Washington, <laughs> D.C. And honestly, we were doing Don Q and it was when it was first being done. And Misha had said it and he was still dancing with the company. It was the year before he joined City Ballet. And um, I was Flower Girls, mm-hmm. one of the two Flower Girls. And I did the Mercedes Dryad Queen role occasionally. Um, and I was, I think this was 78. So I would have been by now a soloist. So I, I joined the company in 74 and in 78, I became a soloist. And um, so I had those roles. And then I came into the canteen at the Kennedy Center. And uh, I don't even remember who turned to me and said, you know, you're going to do Keytree tonight. Ooh, I went, oh, not tonight, oh, <laughs> not tonight. April Fools. You know? <laughs> and, oh my gosh. And then, no, well, as it turned out, um, only Misha and Gelsey were left standing. Mm -hmm. I mean, people were injuring themselves left, right, and center. So Mm -hmm. it turned out that um, it was Jonas Koge as the, as Basilio and Martina had injured her hip. And I don't remember what was happening with Cynthia, but she was off. Maybe she just hadn't, she'd done a show and she couldn't do more. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. So in the end, they put Mariana Tchaikovsky in acts one and three. And they asked me if I would do act two, which was the one I knew the least because I was already in it right. in the core. So right. I couldn't really see what the principal was doing. So you hadn't been learning um, this like in rehearsals. No, this was just like out of the um, a full throw on a, tr- a true throw on. Holy cow. So that was like that day. So in order so that Gelsey and Misha could do the next day, luckily we were at the end of a weekend run. So I don't know if we did the Saturday night show and they announced, they made a big deal to the audience, you know, we have an emergency, blah, blah, blah. And then so that Gelsey could do the next day. Um, fast forward to, I guess, a, almost a year later. Now, Anthony Dow was dancing with the company in those days and he was meant to do Don Q with Makarova. And she hurt herself. And for some reason, he asked for me. And later on, of course, I found out that it was he had a little shoulder issue. So he he wanted to have somebody who was 
uh, probably more his height rather than a Cynthia or Martine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had asked, we, we kind of, when he was with the company, we, we got close in terms of, uh, we shared a sense of humor, something about him. We got along really well. He was very loving, loving and lovely person. And he still is. Um, so he'd asked for me and I thought, ha, oh, right. But it was two or three weeks. We'd just been on a seven week um, layoff and I was already doing, I think, Mirta um, that year. And all, I had a lot of repertoire mm-hmm. um, to, to dance, but I did get rehearsal. And what we went into the Met and it was, you know, no stage call. You just, I'd done the ballet before, so I didn't really need to go through all the, you know, having a rehearsal, like a run through. Mm-hmm. So it was always going on without really knowing, can I get through it? So I got to do my first full length with him. It was Don Q at the Met. That was my first full length. And then Swan Lake, uh, similar thing. I was I did my first Swan Lake with Ross Stretton. He was at the Joffrey that at that time, and he wasn't quite with ABT yet. He wanted to join, but it was like he was in an audition process, and Joffrey wouldn't let him go. And I was rehearsing on my own Swan Lake, and then uh, he showed up the night before. So I was I had no idea how to get through that stamina wise. Mm-hmm. So all my sort of nightmares about the burden of the ballet <laughs> were live. Right. And, and I did the first show and then they told me, don't leave the theater because Natasha's hurt her calf and we might need you to do it with Misha. <laughs> and, the, and this was like the story of my career. Right. Like Somebody went down in Nutcracker. If I was doing the Spanish, I, I picked up and went and did Clara. Um, oh. It was just like who's who's there or once at wolf trap uh, i was out front watching uh giselle and it was gelsey with ross and carla stallings was doing mirta for the very first time so i had done the matinee mm-hmm. and i went out front to watch and i'd had you know a glass of wine and i <laughs> put all my stuff away because you couldn't have your things at the theater in wolf trap you had to put them away there wasn't enough room mm-hmm. um and i came back to wish carla married and everybody's looking at me and I'm thinking, oh, Gelsey uh, can't go on. She has a, I think it was uh, infected toe. And I said, oh, my things are not here. I have no thing. Don't worry. And they people sewing shoes for me. <laughs> I was getting my makeup on and they were sewing shoes. I was using someone else's makeup because uh-huh. mine, mine wasn't there. Anyway, I ended up doing act two. And Robbie LaFosse, who was my normal partner, when I surfaced, after getting ready and I climbed the steps to the stage, he and Ross were, he was doing me because we had slightly different things that we did. And it was almost comical. I wish I'd had an iPhone in those days. It was very, very, very funny, Uh um, which broke the ice, but my shoes were noisy. And I mean, it was not the most ideal situation, but this continued. I mean, this was how it was almost, almost until, I became a principal and retired for sure. So I I think for our, you know, listeners who are audience members or dance enthusiasts, um, the idea of doing a full length ballet that you've on stage for the first time, you've never done the full run through before. You don't know what that feels like stamina wise would be like deciding to run a marathon tomorrow without (laughs) ever training for it. Right. I've done a few miles here, but I'm 26, you know, I mean, in in a ballet like Don Q, I knew it was hard because you could see everybody else dancing and it's jumping. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is for me, the probably between Myrta and Kitri and Myrta is only one act. 
I mean, a key tree from the minute until the end is full on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even in the dream scene, it's still like, then you have to just calm, pull it together. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's like a marathon in in a way. I mean, however, I did watch it for night after night after right. night, I was on stage in another role. So it's not like I didn't know where people went. And I think that's nowadays what you worry about most is like, will I know who that person in that costume is that I'm supposed to stand next to? Mm. Or, um, But for me, it really was always about stamina. And oh, even yeah. when I, and I had a lot of stamina or I wouldn't have been able to get through those things, but in my mind, you know, it's like when the blood leaves your heart, <laughs> it didn't quite make it to my feet. Yeah. <laughs> and I would feel like... Right. And with nerves, and I was a very nervous performer on top of it, that I think that, you know, that panic sets in a little bit of the doubts all come to the fore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a little. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's okay. what I'm wondering, kind of like as an analytical dancer, as you said, you're s- someone who gets nervous and you have this incredibly daunting test. that's not even like. I'm like, do I know the steps? It's like, can I physically stand up at the end of this? Like that's, it's, that's like that fear is so scary. I'm sure I can't imagine. And so I just wonder, do you feel like there was a benefit almost in just like getting thrown on and just doing it and having to go really fast? Or do you feel like it would have been better to have more time or would that have just made you feel more crazy in your mind? (laughs) Well, I don't know. You know, the, the thing is the very first time you do it, I remember actually after being thrown on that time, and then there was always, uh, Jürgen Schneider said he was our ballet master. Then he said, you should, uh, you should definitely learn this and see he and Patrick, Patrick Bissell and I start to learn Bastelio and Keetri. Um, Patrick did it before I did, but we were learning it together at the same time. Mm-hmm. And eventually instead of just, you know, when you have time, learn this at the back, I actually went up and said, look, you know, every year, I end up being thrown on. Could you please just give me rehearsals so that I can actually like work on it? Because there's an aspect of pride. Also, you want to do well. You want to give to the public who are paying money a performance that's worthy of what they're expecting. You don't always want to be the replacement to Gelsey or Natasha, where you hear the audience when they announce your name, say, oh, (laughs) come on. I mean, I heard it. And I would have been there too, doing the same thing for me. <laughs> and in fact, partially just before going on, I was also going, oh, <laughs> and people were trying to protect me. It was very sweet. Like, I mean, the dancers were all like, oh, come on. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think for sure getting rehearsal is better. And, uh, you know, of course you could always want to rehearse too much. That's the other aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But, but there is something about, um, improving the performance and not just getting by that as a, as an artist also want to make sure that you're investing the role with something a little more than just surface because you can, you know, I can just get through it. Right. You want to, you want to create a character. And there was in the beginning for me, that was the hardest thing is, Oh, you've done this kind of idea. Well, yeah, but in the way in which I had to do it, um, was a bit rough. So come, could you just allow me a little time to, to prepare? Right. And it happened with the, the filming with Misha. You know, I hadn't done it the whole year. That's what I wanted to um, bring up next for sure. I mean, yeah. um, we always talk about this, but especially I feel like people our age, you know, um, now there's YouTube and things that you have you have access to so many more videos. But when we were growing up, we would all go to the public library and there were like five videos that we would just, you know, like basically watch so many times that would 
bust, you know, and one of those was definitely Don Q with you and Misha. So I, I want to hear. Probably was the- one of the first <laughs> <laughs> back in the dinosaur day. Well, yeah. So, um, well, there you have it. See, Anthony left in '79. Uh, he'd been with us that so that year. I got to dance with him a lot. So exciting, mm-hmm. and other people I danced with Fernando and Good Enough, and I, you know, again, if somebody went off, somebody yeah, will do it, <laughs> and happily, mm-hmm. you know, believe me, sure. at that point, once I had gotten to do it with Anthony Dell, it was like, okay, I can do this, mm-hmm. and I, I got to rehearse, so I finally got to rehearse, um, but then Anthony left, so I wasn't actually cast. We did the whole tour. And then we got to the Met, and I don't know really the ins and outs of why it was, of course, meant to be Gelsey. And then I think they looked at other people in the company, and there were several people dance who danced it in those days. Um, and I think something, again, Natasha had a calf problem or something. So Misha asked for me, and I was freaking out. I mean, it was like, come on, filming live? <laughs> Forever, <laughs> forever, uh, it, forever immortalized. Um, and I, and then you have to kind of go, okay, well, I can only do the best I can do. Um, yeah, and, and poor Misha because I'd like to rehearse, and he had done it zillions of times, and probably thought, oh, do I have to rehearse this again? Um, and it was in his blood, you know, he'd been doing it forever, so I, I just had to get get by and the fan solo I had never done that one I well I hadn't done it with ABT Misha had put me in the jumping variation that in the videos Susan Jaffe does mm-hmm. with the cabriole yeah. because jumping was what I could do and um and so later many years later when I did it more often and I eventually danced it with Wes and Julio and many other pe- people and now I I look at myself doing the fan variation later in my career was so much better. I'm like, Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, probably I never jumped as bet as good as I did in the first act. I don't think I ever had that kind of energy ever again. I think that was it. I hit my peak (laughs) at at 25 or 24, whatever it was um, in terms of energy, but, um, but everything else got better as time went on. And it's just too bad that it didn't get immortalized later in my career. (laughs) so funny because like Michael, like you were saying, there's, it's like almost we're saturated now with so many YouTube videos. And like for us as dancers in our generation, we always had everything recorded and it could be on Instagram the next day. Like we never really almost thought about it in the same way. And I'm sure for you, like being inspired by so many of these kinds of videos and stuff, was that, I know you already said it was kind of daunting, but I, I mean, you did inspire like a generation with that video. And so I just like wonder. It's how very hard to imagine that. Right. I I'm have sure. to say, <clears throat> people say this to me, <clears throat> but I find that really, I, I don't know what it is. It's possibly because when I was still dancing that ballet, there were still people in the company who I admire, whom I admired. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult for me to, f- I mean, now, of course, it's been, I don't know, 30 some odd years, maybe more. I haven't done the math. <laughs> um, and when people say that, you know, my grandmother used to watch you. <laughs> I don't like it. It's true. <laughs> um, I, I, it's it's a compliment. And I, I take it better now than I did then. Because then I was like, what? You people are crazy. You don't know. You don't really know what's really good dancing. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, I think because I was so critical of myself. I mean, you say we used to, we used to have those old VHS 
cameras and we used to tour and I never filmed myself. I filmed other things like going to the zoo and mm-hmm. why did I carry it? If I could have been using it, other dancers did, right. but I think I was so intimidated and so critical of, of my own dancing that I didn't even look at Don Q until I, oh, I think it must've been maybe five years after we had filmed it. Wow. Um, and not because I didn't love it because I loved it, right. but I just knew I would beat myself up about it. So hard to watch yourself. Do. And that's so funny because I mean, we would watch, right, Michael, we would like after a performance, after a matinee, everyone would be sitting around that night watching the DVD from the matinee, like giving ourselves notes. Like it's so funny to think of the option of not having to watch right. it. Well, I know, but I mean, other dancers in the company in my time also watched themselves. Right. I just was the weirdo. Didn't want him. Well, I, yeah, I think you have to like, you no, know, it's stupid actually. Now I, I would, I would love to that advice to myself. Uh, it's like, get over yourself. Well, you know? it's a, it's, but it's a hard thing. I mean, it can really like damage you before. I remember I watched a video of myself doing false fantasy and then I had to do it at the night. And I like, I that show was terrible because I was just in my head about, I was like, well, you were bad at that. But this is it. That. Uh, now would, would, would I have had distance if, if I had seen it straight away, I knew I had to dance it a lot for the next two or three years. Yeah. Right. I, had I, had I maybe seen it, I could have affected me like it, Walt's fantasy affected right, you, right. but uh, who knows, you know, it's all hypothetical now or well, in the past. You're in very good company because it's so funny. Like I, one time I got to tell Kay Mazo that like her, and I saw Bart cook. I oh. think the same thing. I, I just, it's my favorite thing to tell people like you that like these videos just made me want to be a dancer and affected my whole life. And every single person, I mean, Kay was like, Oh my God. No, I, I was, I, awful. No, no. I, I was awful. She, she, by the way, I loved her in that too. Yeah. It's so, yeah. It's so <laughs> incredible. So, um, yeah. you know, I think it's just, a, that's just the dancerly way. We all kind of bristle at having to see that. And, and of course, video takes away like the, like the third the, dimension. Yeah. Yeah. The poetry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think, uh, and this is what scared us about COVID. You know, are we going to have to be under behind the screen? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these performances, I have to say, I was like, oh, I'm so over it. I'm so over watching. I know that it was important to keep the dancers going, but I was so over watching them on, oh, yeah. on a video or on a film or. Right. And, and I'm, I'm a big film goer. I love to go to the films yeah. to see movies and cinema. But something I just after a while that that aspect of the live influencing how the audience influences how the weird things that happen maybe with the orchestra or, or maybe with your colleagues on stage how it influences right. your performance the sort of spontaneity it, it was felt like it was gone right you know yeah, yeah. definitely let's definitely we can get back into that but i want to hear about uh, what i love about your career and i think this happens a lot is like um you know you get we get to see these this um moment of like you you idolizing Dow and sibley and you know your teacher telling you like oh the rid looks best on you and you know i like this look for you and then you get to you know later you're on you're dancing with Dow, and then you have this huge moment where um you join royal ballet um can you tell us about how that happened and and what that process was like? Yeah, it was very odd. I mean, I got a phone call from Anthony Dell. It was 85 in April. And he said, I'm going to be taking over the Royal Ballet. Would you come? And I kind of went, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I said, I'd love to. That'd be great. It'd be a dream. I'd love that. Thinking he meant as a guest um, sometime in the future. And then 
a couple of months later, it must have been May or June, and he called again and he said, have, have you done anything about your visa? And I went, oh, oh, you mean this is like happening. I'm coming, September. coming. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, oh, well, I better ask. So I had to ask Misha and Charles. And I asked for a leave of absence, um, Charles being Charles France, who was sort of the assistant to Misha Brishnikov, who was our director at the time. And um, Misha was good. He was really great about it. He was very, uh, I said, you know, you know what it's like. You know, you have a dream to work with other places. I've been here for 13 years. And you all, everyone here thinks of me as up and coming. (laughs) then I was a principal Uh and I even think of myself as that. Um, And I, I feel like I need a change of scenery to establish, to know who I am. And I've been asked to, to go to the Royal. I will only go if I know I can come back. Um, And I, they want me to come as a normal member of the company, which I prefer because if you're a guest, people, you know, don't talk to you. They're not as welcoming, but they are, but they aren't. Um, And the expectation is huge. So, uh, Anthony was very uh, cognizant of the fact that he didn't want me to feel like the stranger amongst them. Uh, So Misha was like, yes, I get it. He said, although we had a lot of repertoire coming, but Charles was a little less understanding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, he was very, I understood him and he was right. You know, we have dancers, you're going to go away and they're going to come and take your place. Mm And I can't guarantee that your place will be here when you come back. And I thought, okay, well, It's a chance I have to take. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I really didn't discuss it with anybody other than telling them now, you know, this is happening and I'm going to go. So off I went. Um, It was a bit of an adventure. Unfortunately, after the first year and I got to dance, I mean, I worked with Ashton, who I really wanted to work with. That was one of my biggest dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ninette de Valois was still around and alive. And uh, it was their production of Sleeping Beauty. And up until then, and I'd been like I said, I've been in the company for 13 years. I'd never danced Aurora. And I I thought, oh, that's going to be a role I should be able to handle. And I, I should be okay with that. That would be something I I could see myself dancing, but I've never done it. Mm-hmm. And I I think I was 27, going to be 28. And I said, you know, I want to do it before I'm scared to do it. Right. That was the words I remember <laughs> very clearly. Um, and, and Charles, said, well, we were, we're going to do Sleeping Beauty next year, which is, of course, what happened. Um, <laughs> So anyway, off I went to the Royal and I did symphonic variations, real signature pieces of theirs, um, Sleeping Beauty, Undine, uh, Manon, uh, and other other ballets, David Bentley choreographed Still Life on, uh, at the Penguin Cafe. Um, it was a very rich time in my, in my career. And I think the right move for me at that time, of course, the funniest thing was the very first thing I danced was Jerry Robbins' Opus 19. <laughs> Oh, with the wow. royal, it's like awesome. I'm all the way here. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Got to just cross so, the plaza. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was interesting because I'd only worked with him in Fancy Free mm-hmm. uh, with ABT, and it was very interesting having him at the royal. Um, they were doing Bugaku, which I didn't do, but mm-hmm. uh, and uh, John Clifford came and uh, Susie Handel, and it was really really wonderful time. Um, and, and again, you know, Sibley was still dancing. Um, I got to learn um, uh, LaRiche in Meyerling. And what I took away from that time was learning how to perform in a more operatic way and using my eyes. Uh, the coaching was similar in terms of how they coached the technical aspects, but there was a big emphasis on 
on what you were, how, how you were achieving the choreographer's wish. Right. So there was a, a big aspect of performing uh, and getting that point across, which wasn't so much maybe because ABT had so much more rep, so many ballets that we were doing on tour. So, you know, you'd go from one room to the next and you'd kind of list again, just let me get through this. Right. Um, and there it's, you were performing maybe a week out of six weeks. So you had six weeks in between. I found it harder to stay in shape, I bet. but what I gained was that aspect of, cause we use performance to get in shape in America. Mm-hmm. You yeah. stay in shape cause you're performing like crazy. Right. But there was that, um, really delving into a role and and seeing it mm. from the point of view that their expectation. Now, what you can add to that is also something very interesting. So that it really came from a place of, like I say, like an operatic uh, performance mm-hmm. to make it larger than life. Um, and I learned that there. And luckily, I was able to bring that back later on to ABT. And I think also not to be seen as up and coming anymore. Cause in the meantime, the dancers that I admired were slowly mm-hmm. um, going away. So yeah, I came back the year before Misha left or two years before he left and then Kevin took over. So I had Lucia, Jane Herman, uh, Misha and Kevin, not necessarily in that order, but I had the four directors that have been directing. ABT. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. So Michael and I w- were in Miami City Ballet with both under Edward Vlela and then Lourdes Lopez. And it kind of, right. I mean, while it was the same company, it felt a little bit like we, you know, were in kind of two companies. So I wonder if you, if you kind of had that experience too, while all your friends are still there, it's all the same people, but with the shift of um, director, how did that kind of impact your career during those different times? Well, you know, I, it's quite interesting because when I first joined the company, Lucia hadn't promoted anybody from within the company. She was going outside and there were dancers that should have been promoted. In my year, they promoted Janet Shibata. Um, and we were, I think, the only two ladies who were promoted. But for four years, she hadn't promoted anybody. Wow. Um, so the two of us were promoted. And it was kind of like, oh, good. Now um, it looks like they're going to look within. Right. Instead of, I think it was when they brought in Rebecca Wright and Christine Elliott and Sardanias. There were dancers from outside. Magalie Messat came with with um, Misha. So then Misha took over and he wanted to make the company um, kind of, he wanted to probably make his mark. So those of us who were not yet principals, he pushed Robert LaFosse, mm-hmm. myself, Susan Jaffe, um, you know, Peter Fonseca, people who were hard workers, basically, we worked like fiends. Um, and it would paid off. I mean, we got so many opportunities and, and incredible coaching from him and mm-hmm. um, the standard, the standard, which we cannot take away mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as we try. Uh, that for me was a biggest, the biggest blessing. Um, and then the Jane years were short, uh, and what she did was, she, in one way, I think it was wise. She actually decided that not all of us should do every ballet. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if we went on tour, I would do Sleeping Beauty. Alessandra Ferry would do Romeo and Juliet. Christine Dunham would do Raimonda. Susan Jaffe would do Swan Lake. We'd have the first nights of those ballets. Right. We might do another show 
but we wouldn't be the first cast. So there wasn't like a ballerina who got everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's felt very, very fair in that regard. Uh, um, artistically, not necessarily at the same level. It wouldn't be then with a, a Baryshnikov. And then Kevin came. And um, as a colleague, uh, I thought it was a, a good move for ABT at the time. Very much so. Because uh, he understood what ABT was about, which was storytelling, and, um, and it still is. So, yeah, I think that the company um, there wasn't a, there wasn't such a major shift from Misha to Kevin necessarily. There was a, just a difference. I think Kevin also wanted to make his his um, you know, his dancers stand out. Uh, so Paloma was moving up in that that time period and um, Susan was more of an established ballerina and in 1995 um, I I had a a year I got married in 1990 and then I was expecting a baby and lost it and then when I tried to come back the very first class I took some girl knocked into me and I went over like I was just standing still and my ankle went over and I tore ligaments in my foot. It was like, okay. Wow. So I was off almost a whole year and I was determined I wanted to come back, but I was now like, I don't know, 36, 37. And I, I had a, an injury in Russia, which is one of the reasons I came back to ABT. Mm-hmm. Um, my foot got stuck in a hole during the bedroom pot of doing men on the slide. And uh, I had an x-ray there at, it was my left foot, which is, you know, four days, what have you. Mm. Right. And it turns out that it, it was broken, but they said nothing was really wrong. Right. And it was also, I mean, torn ligaments. It was a mess basically. And it really took some years off my career because mm. I could never get that back. It, I, I never was able to get it because I went so long without getting it attended to right. thinking nothing is wrong, <laughs> but I couldn't put my heel down. I mean, it was a mess. Mm. And then my other foot, I got a chip, a bone chip that I'd had when I was a little girl. Um, An ostrogonum. Some boys were chained. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. but it, it wasn't a, a natural one. It happened that I had been chased. My sister and I were being chased around a swimming pool in Marin County. <laughs> <laughs> and I jumped into the pool thinking it was the deep end and it was the shallow end. Uh. And I jammed something and the little piece of bone chipped, but it never went anywhere until I was like in my thirties, I was doing some gig somewhere and I pushed off for a grand jeté and I I felt this funny thing. And from that point on, I couldn't point. It was like in the way. But it was behind your heel. Yeah. Well, it was inside the ankle joint. So it was really delightful. (laughs) The interior, but way deep. So Uh Dr. Hamilton, who we've just lost, um, passed away a couple of days ago. He had done the x-ray and said that, um, you know, if you get this operated on, this is not your normal ostrogonum. this has been there for years. And then I realized what it was. And he said, you'd have to, we'd have to remove things and tear cut through. And he said, basically you'll have no career. I mean, you'll have, you'll have to stop. So I just kind of thought, Oh, I'll keep going. But it started to swell up a lot, every performance. And I'd have to have it, the liquid extracted um, mm. with a needle. And that kind of, you lose the joy when you're in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, so in, in 1995, I came back from my injury. I was determined I wasn't going to stop because of an injury. So I came back from the twisted ankle after the pregnancy loss. And then um, I was dancing in San Francisco at the opera um, as a guest in Flatermouse. And Wes Chapman was my partner. We were only meant to do the Sleeping Beauty Pas de Deux. 
and they had other guests, Gary Christ and Donna Murphy, and people were oh, wow. big part of the party scene in Flader Mouse. Uh, and Kent Nagano was the conductor, and he, and they we told them. I said, you know, I think I'm going to stop on New Year's Eve. I think that's going to be my last performance. So I called Kevin and I said, you know what, uh, I'm not coming back. And that was that. So New Year's Eve in California, 1995. I decided that was that. I'm I was finished. I was 37, and I. I just had enough. I was like, I don't want to be in this kind of pain anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll figure it out. And by that point, you know, I, I was married and I still wanted my family. I wanted to have a family, which is how, what I ended up doing, but I used the new year's Eve as that was my party. I was having a big new year's <laughs> Eve masquerade ball and um, pretended that was my party. They announced it on the stage. Kent Nagano stopped the orchestra and uh-huh. told them, and I had my family was there. So it was nice. And my teacher was there. Right. So at least I was kind of feeling like I came full circle in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I accomplished. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. And I accomplished more than I, I wanted, uh, I had ever dreamed of accomplishing really. And dance with people that I, I couldn't believe that, I, you know, in a way I always felt like an ingenue and until, you know, I really was grown up, you know, and, and that's not how you should be when you're performing with a main ballet company, you should feel like you're established and have that confidence. And I think right. it, I just never really felt like I was that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have too much respect for the art form to do it badly. And I was feeling myself like I was dancing smaller because it was hurting mm-hmm. and I was in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, people kept saying, Oh, no, we don't see that, but better to know when to roll them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, so at that point you wanted to have a family and I, and um, you know, move on to the next part of your life. But um, did you think that ballet was going to still be a major factor in this second phase? Honestly, no, I really thought, uh, well, I'll have to figure out something. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do something totally different. I, I quite liked the idea of going back to school. I thought maybe architecture, maybe I'll wow. design uh, costumes, or I wanted somehow to be in the arts or some creative aspect. Mm. And then uh, I did finally get my son. <laughs> I had my son um, when I was 41. And uh, yeah, <laughs> always a little late to the party, (laughs) but I was very happy to do so. And then in 2004, Natasha Makarova asked me if I would help her stage La Bayadere in La Scala in Milan, you know, totally not knowing what to expect because her normal stager, Olga Evrenov, had a a knee issue, I think, so she couldn't make it. So I, I went, well, first it was Poland. She asked me to go to, to Warsaw to stage it there. Um, with Susan Jones from ABT. So Susan came and did one part of it. And then I did all the other, like the principles and um, rehearsed them. Uh, and it got on stage. And then Natasha asked me to do La Scala after that. So it, I totally didn't embarrass her, I guess. And uh, and then La Scala asked me to start teaching. And I kind of went, oh, yeah, that might be okay. I would do once a week after my son was born. I thought, oh, I better keep sort of fit. And I taught once a week at our, the local school in England, because that's where I'd moved to. I'd mm-hmm. moved to England. So I was there for 23 years. And um, yeah, consequently, it just snowballed from there. And people were being asking me to teach the Royal and Australia and wow. kind of all over the world. And then other people started to ask me, Madeline Anna asked me to stage uh, 
Sleeping Beauty in Hong Kong. And I had remedied a production in Oslo prior to that. And Oslo also asked me to stage a Giselle, so I did that. Um, and then in Singapore, I staged a Don Q. And that kind of always blew my mind. And I never wanted to do that. People mm -hmm. were like, oh, will you do it? And I always initially went, oh, no, 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 no. And But me, you give me a challenge. And unfortunately, <laughs> there's something, some part of the psyche that goes, come and meet that challenge. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm walking forward with the sort of blinders on, hoping that I can I can do it. And, it, you know, it's it's just another process. And I think it's just to tick that box in a way to say, yeah. And and with the information I have now, having like read all of Alistair McCauley's information on Giselle, I kind of want to restage some mm -hmm. of these things uh -huh. because you you learn more as you go along. Right. And it's like everything. It's just, now I get why all those movies they want to remake. Uh, right. do it better. <laughs> I, I feel that. that way about, yeah, because... Right. Although we think it can never be better when we're watching a film, I'm going, oh, I know it could be better. I know it could be right. better with this production of Giselle. I want to redo it. Right. So I'm curious. Obviously, you you care so much about these ballets. They've been a part of you for decades. Um, I'm wondering what your personal approach is, as you know. Like, so if someone says, let's let's do Sleeping Beauty from scratch. How much are you going to take draw from like the productions you were in versus things like like do you get to fix little moments where maybe when you were doing a war, you're like, this doesn't really working. Like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> how, how much, what, yeah. wait, what's your if I ever staged Swan Lake, I'd take out the poetes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really working. <laughs> um, well, it's a little combination of both. I have to say, I mean, there are, there were some things in Sleeping Beauty. I would go, that doesn't even make sense. Right. You mm. know? And then you'd look at the books, you'd study, you know, all the, the histories and the, as much as you can. And then see, uh, part of me was always thinking, well, it's gone from, from A to, I don't know, M. Mm -hmm. How come it got to M? Right. And, and sometimes it made sense. Mm -hmm. And other times you just kind of went, oh, well, no, nobody's going to notice. And uh, it doesn't make any difference to the story. Right. I don't mean to be uh, flippant, but I mean, if it doesn't make any difference to the story, I'm going to leave that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and a lot of times it depends on the dancers you have in front of you. Mm -hmm. Is it going to make them look worse? Is it going to make them look good? Right. And I, I don't think so much about me and, and the production, but I think how am I going to do justice to this company that has asked me to do this production? Mm -hmm. So um, it's a combination really, mm -hmm. but often for me, it has to make sense. Like if somebody exits stage left, but they come back on stage, right. Two minutes later, you kind of wonder why, what was that all about? Yeah. And why are they not coming on? And that happens a lot. That's so I mean, funny. I, yeah. Oh, but it's, it annoys me. You know, the and, bathroom was over know. there. That's why, you know, they just had to yeah. <laughs> She went off inside the house. Why is she coming back on oh, right. yes. another? Right. Did she have a back door? <laughs> like, so a lot of those kind of things, um, it has to make sense to me on a really basic level. And then because, you know, the audience comes there, we suspend belief anyway, right. but you can't make it so ridiculous that they're not going to buy it. Right. So that's part of it. Then the other thing for me that's really important is having a scenery and set design that matches my expectation. But I do go back to the production with Sleeping Beauty. I think I danced four different productions. Mm -hmm. So which one was the one that I loved the most? Mm -hmm. and what are the reasons? Is it only because it felt good? Yeah. That's not good enough. <laughs> it felt good is not, that's not even the reason why it should be. But, um, you know, it, why was that production a success? What 
you know, mm-hmm. what made it that way. So I, I tend to look at those things. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering um, when you're talking about what you've read uh, that Alistair McCauley has done about Giselle, he did a huge question and answer, right. About Giselle's on his website. And I wonder what you got from that, that you might take if you were able to restage Giselle again in the future. I think it would be the ending having Batilde come back and forgive mm. Albrecht. Mm. I know that the West, we like those tragic endings. Right? <laughs> this, you know, him. And I think the Albrechts love the oh. drama of dropping the flowers and oh. being there by the grave. And do we know if he comes back the next night? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, it does make dramatic sense to have, uh, that's a resolution. Yeah. Just having, uh, he's going to have to live with this, that he did. He was forgiven. He should be happy. (laughs) And Giselle forgives him as well. Mm -hmm. So in a way it's all forgiving. Mm -hmm. Uh, He lived his dream and then that's that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I like, I like the idea, um, but I, I don't know. A lot of it would depend on whether the company would approve of that. Do they want to make it that much longer? (laughs) There has to be (laughs) those four minutes more. Um, Mm -hmm. So that for me, that was the prime first prime thing. I actually have, um, he commented on how most productions don't have the, the, I think they play with dice in one production um, in oh. the beginning of act two. I've done that I've done the, the guys. as a yeah. baby apprentice. Dice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have them with lanterns and I don't think they're playing with dice. They're, you know, they're just discussing things and they get spooked by the willies right. as mm-hmm. well. So um, they're there. Uh, so, yeah, I think they're, they're little things and, and how the, the willies where they do their chugs across the stage mm-hmm. Um whether their head is down and up, but I think he says they should, should have their heads up. And we always had their, our heads down at ABT. And I, if I can change that, uh, actually Oslo are doing the production again in um, September. So I'm going to go back in August. And As a former Willie, I endorse that message of not having that back pain of being an ironing board going across the stage. <laughs> I know, I know. You know it's that so- was like me with Bayadere having done First Girl. It was like, oh, I so for- feel for those girls. Mm-hmm. I so, I mean, even till the end, I was like, oh, those poor girls. Right. They deserve more applause than any principal dancer in that ballet. But it's, it's- <laughs> Isn't it funny? Like, I mean, because the image of the head down chugs, like that's what I've been watching. Since. Yeah. I mean, I probably yeah. I saw an a- I saw the ABT Giselle production, the present production when I was like 11 or something at Kennedy Center. It's the same production. And that's what I saw. But mm-hmm. then we confused and we think that that is like, um, you know, that is the like authentic or the, the original version. Exactly. Well, because every company does it now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Royal Ballet does it. Who, who doesn't? Even the I think the Russians even right. to a certain extent, they might have their heads a bit higher. But that is what I grew up. Right. So mm-hmm. why would I have thought it was any different? Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, the image, I get it. Uh, to me, it is kind of more powerful and, and kind of uh, direct and thoughtful and you know, kind of vindictive with your head sort of down, mm-hmm. but even more so if you have your head up, but mm-hmm. can we get the, all those girls like that? Mm-hmm. Right, right. That would be the, the challenge. Thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And the sort of with the feeling that has to come with it. Yeah. I right. think that's the important part. So yeah. it'll be, I'll see if I can get that, at least that little thing done. Let's right. just see. I don't, I know. I don't think I can get the, at this point, the, mm-hmm extra music the happy music at the end with Batilde right but uh let's uh let's talk a little bit about um your time at JKO which is has been ABT's school for nearly two decades now um you began to head the school in 2016 
Um, what made you decide to take on that position? Especially, seems like mostly you were doing these, you know, major work with with large companies, working with professionals. So um, obviously, they're two very different tasks. There, like rearing young dancers into becoming professionals. So what what made you decide that was the the right move at that time? Well, actually, what I don't talk about is that I was teaching in um, in England for a school for a ballet school mm -hmm. okay. um, in Norwich. And I guest taught uh, for a long time at the Royal and at English National Ballet School. And in Italy, I taught at a, a school called Il Balletto. Um, so I did a lot of teaching with kids mm -hmm. um, every year, uh, several. Um, but when I was stage productions or guest teach professionally, you know, people really more interested in companies and schools. So that's what you talk about mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in the end. Uh, I think, again, it was the challenge. Um, Kevin contacted me because he'd heard that Franco uh, DeVita um, and his uh, partner, Raymond Lukens, were considering retirement. And, you know, he didn't want the school to be without a director. And would I think about it? And I said, well, yeah, but I, I kind of would have to see the school. I hadn't seen the school, I think, since I had taught at the summer intensives every year, mm -hmm. pretty much till 2007. And then there was this oh. big gap between 2007 and 2000. I think I came back in 2014 mm -hmm. for one, one year uh, at some point. And then uh, a couple of years passed and uh, I thought, well, I, I just need to see the regular school, not the summer intensive. Right. And, um, and I thought, oh, it's a lot of potential, a lot of potential here. Uh, but I hadn't really, I didn't need the job and it wasn't like I felt it was a calling, but it was the challenge. And I mm -hmm. thought, what can I, would I be upset um, if I didn't do it? If I, would I regret, have regrets? And the answer to that was yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really been the most enriching thing, uh, totally satisfying in such a different way from performing, um, I, I really did it also because I, I thought I would like to be part of the conversation about where dance is going to go and mm -hmm. uh, where ballet in particular could go and what's the objectives. Mm -hmm. Not in the end, I wasn't called to the table to talk about it very much. <laughs> so kind of like felt like, okay, well um, I can only influence what's in front of me mm -hmm. and what I'm doing here. Um, mainly because in my contract itself, you know, I'm really just too busy mm -hmm. to, to have the time you know, there's Dance USA and I'm supposed to be on the affinity group, but I can never make the meetings because I'm teaching, right. you know, when they have them. Um, and people say, well, you make the schedule. Why don't you just take yourself out? But what <laughs> they don't realize is that part of what I'm being paid for is that I have to teach a certain amount every week. Mm -hmm. That's in the, con and, you know, in New York and with American dancers, you, you know, not all the classes go at nine, nine in the morning or right. 10 in the morning yeah. for ABT. The earliest one is at 11. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm better with the sort of 14 to 16 age group mm -hmm. with the teachers that I have mm -hmm. the slightly younger who come around, you know, between one thirty and four o'clock. So sure. it's smack in the middle of the day mm -hmm. and I'm, I have to do meetings. I have the national training curriculum. So, you know, my day is full. There's right. just not like hours to spend on a conversation. And mm -hmm. that's unfortunate because I really did want to be part of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I talk to myself all the time about it. <laughs> Constantly. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and we have our own, uh, you know, we've had ethics talks on ethics and diversity, equity, inclusion, and all those things. They're so important to uh, expand on the conversation of where ballet and where it can go more to the future. Um, And it's so complicated. And you you have to try to be fair. and one of the things about ballet is that, you know, I, what I was asked by our board committee, education committee, how do you cast the school show? It's like, well, you put the best people on. Right. It's like, well, is that fair? Right. Like, well, yeah, I have to represent the school and you can't, you know, we have two shows. It's not like we have 14 shows right. and you can give everybody an opportunity. So, you know, you have to have an answer to why you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. especially when you're dealing with families. I have a fantastic team around me. Um, and then people from the team are starting to go as Kevin's going. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons why I'm, I'm choosing to leave now is one of the reasons is that, you know, first of all, uh, with Kevin going, I was really hired because of him. He wanted me there. Mm-hmm. So uh, what would happen if somebody turned up? who doesn't want Cynthia Harvey there. Mm-hmm. And then they felt difficult to get rid of me. Um, well, I, I don't mean, like this person already. So. <laughs> oh, well, it could be, I mean, you know, people go, Oh, that won't happen. Yes, it could. But it could course, very yeah. well happen right. if they have like uh, when Rachel Moore came from Boston to be the executive director of ABT, she wanted Raymond and Franco because right. that's who she knew from there sure, and they're entitled. So that's one reason. And it, it's also, what if I didn't, totally approve of who becomes a director. I don't even know. We don't know yet still who's going to be. So better that I go before any of that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Plus during COVID, I was sitting here in this apartment teaching (laughs) for 19 months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I miss my son who's in England. Mm -hmm. Um, He's in computer science now. He's finished school, but he was still in school at that time uh, up until last year. And I just thought, what if we have another pandemic or what if something happens in the world and I'm so far away. Right. And and then, you know, I have uh, my real sister who's in California and I'm far away. It, my family have always been there for me. If I did a premiere, they'd fly to see me in England or I've never been available to them. And right. even now that I'm in New York, I, I in my mind, oh, I'm going to have time to take up guitar lessons, which I wanted to do, or maybe hone my Spanish skills and get better at that. Not, not even a possible not a moment i mean even going to the met to watch a performance of abt during our summer intensive is like oh gosh i don't know if i could do it (laughs) and um you know it's the things that i feel like i need to be at least there for my family in my twilight years Because I feel like they've been there for me all the time. And in this period of COVID, seeing family members get sick or seeing loved ones whose family members have died, you just don't want to miss, you know, the last years of being close to people. Right. Uh, that human aspect for me uh, is is larger. Mm-hmm. I love my kids here at the school. I adore them. And when I had to tell them, I thought, oh, how am I going to do this without crying? And they, but I thought they know me well enough to know I cry at everything. <laughs> I cry when I'm happy. I cry uh-huh. when I'm sad. No. I mean, they really do. They just kind of like, oh God, here she goes again. Um, <laughs> but it's just because they're, um, they're me. They're the me that I, you know, when I was their age, right. you know, and I see it in them. And I, 
And there's such a lovely feeling when you give them something and it works. And Mm. I mean, it's better than any amount of applause anybody could ever get. I mean, for me, that's the best, but then I don't want to miss my son now that he's an adult and we can have really good adult conversations (laughs) about all sorts of things. I mean, I didn't know from boys. I I was raised with sisters Mm -hmm. and ballet school with girls surrounding Mm me. And I have this male child who's into science and Lego <laughs> when I was little. And I, I got to learn all about those things. And now, you know, it's uh, all sorts of computing and binary numbers and things that I had no, I still don't really understand <laughs> and very little interest. But, you know, I owe it to him to find out more about what makes him tick. And, you know, I was always busy. And so it's better, better late than never is how I feel about this. And I'm still going to be teaching and I will still, they'll have my email that people can contact me. And Mm -hmm. I've already had offers to teach around the world again. And and that's great. I mean, I kept having them in the last six years, but I've never been able to go. And and then one of the joys about being back here was reconnecting with people like Robert LaFosse and Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Farrell and, and meeting new people who were beautiful teachers through the national training curriculum at ABT that, you know, passionate, passionate people who are, you know, the future dance teachers in this country. And it's, it's really been wonderful, but in this building currently at 890 Broadway, there's not that much more we can do. It's we're so trapped with so few studios. Mm -hmm. There is, there is a lot happening in the future and it's going to get better for whoever takes my job. (laughs) It's really going to be wonderful for them. Um, A new building possibility and more space and, you know, options to have the programs that I've been asking to have, but we just couldn't expand. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's so many more things I wanted to do for the kids that have to graduate because we have a children's division and a pre-professional division. And, you know, not all of them can become professional dancers or, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's my decision, but to at least allow them to continue training somewhere that, you know, to give them when they're having to move into high school as it is, which is also a traumatic time of year for a lot of kids. (laughs) And they've made their social, you know, all their whole social uh, construct has been around coming to ballet. Mm -hmm. And then I say, sorry, you're not going to be able to move on to the pre-professional division at ABT. I think it's, it's a terrible time for them. And then, you know, and then taking kids that you think, oh, well, we need some paying students, you know, this kind of thing, which Mm -hmm. is a necessary evil in America. Um, And, and so it's, I've not been able to really do what I wanted to do, but I feel like I've contributed a little bit and uh, yeah, sometimes you just have to cut those losses and move on. Right. Just, just for our last question, I wonder how you might be thinking that you can continue to contribute to the conversation of where ballet and dance goes from here in your next chapter that's coming up. Well, first of all, if somebody asks me, <laughs> I think without having being uh, without being tied to an institution that you know you you have to be careful what you say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm working with minors, so I also have to be very aware um, how I influence them. But I think with if I'm asked and I have the freedom to be able to say what I what I think, um, you know, I I feel like I have had an experience that I can use as my experience, but with the current values of today's society. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that, you know, I came from an age where if somebody said something negative, you just sucked it up and go, 
I, yeah, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. Um, But dancers on the whole, nobody's more critical than they are of themselves. And I, I do feel there was necessary improvements needed in, in how we speak to dancers and how we treat them and that they're not treated like babies um, and that they're treated with respect. Uh, And some places don't do that. uh, And that needed to change. And I'm glad that that conversation is opening. There are areas where I feel like in a way we are trying so hard to protect the students now from criticism that I'm not sure we're doing them favors that I'm not certain that we are really uh, raising a group of dancers who could read a bad review and survive it Mm. because we're, we're always having to bolster them, bolster them, bolster them. Mm -hmm. And I think, no, we don't want to be negative. Of course, we don't want to constantly say, no, don't do it like that. That's not good. That's not good. But I think there has to be a balance. And I think that we're, we are not necessarily preparing uh, current young people for a life that's going to be tough. I mean, whether they stay in dance or not, um, you know, it's not that easy out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you have to have a little bit of the ability to just, okay, like pull up your socks and get back on it and, mm-hmm. and try again. Mm-hmm. And in some ways I feel like it's almost gone and I, it will, I think like everything, it go, almost goes too far and then ha- finds its happy middle mm-hmm. area, middle zone. Um, and I'm hoping that it can kind of like, we can solidify things. There's many areas we need to discuss gender much more mm-hmm. and what we're going to do with the uh, kids who are struggling with the gender identity. And, you know, we got to get out there with, with, with information that's helpful to them, but in the most important thing for me has always been their safety and their training mm-hmm. so that they train in a safe way so that whatever mentally, physically, that however we lead them, safely into their futures yeah yeah well cynthia anyone that gets the chance to work with you i think they're so lucky and you have so much incredible knowledge and just i mean hearing about the way you approach things from the time you were little like that even just that bringing that to today's generation you know you're so thoughtful and analytical and um it's just I, I'm sure anyone that gets to have you as a coach or teacher is just so lucky so i i'm really hopeful that you'll still be out there I mean, see your family, but <laughs> oh, I will, I will. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm retirement age. I really am. So it's it's time. It's time. I had always thought, okay, 65, that's it, and I'm 65 next month. So enough. But it, I can choose. I, I can I pick can and choose. choose. Yeah, yeah, it works. I can you. still do a grand bottom. So that that much I can. <laughs> Better more only than I can more, say. More than only sure. with one, only with the one leg. Okay. <laughs> That's something to be proud of for sure. Cynthia, At least for now. Thank you so much. This was such a delight. We just thank you. enjoyed it so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you both. Take good care.